You're listening to the newest podcast from Radii China. Here we're going to talk to guests of different backgrounds from various industries, each with their own story, in the hope of challenging some of our own perspectives by hearing things from another angle. I'm Wes Chen, and you're listening to China from All Angles. You know, it was from Peckham. Everybody kind of does know each other, and he was like, you know, I can't do this. If you're a boy, it's different, but you're a girl. As martial arts, you know, it's um, it's not about gender. Martial arts doesn't have that perception on gender as it is. This shifted people's idea of female fighters. I really wanted to open up a gym, but in the same breath, I really wanted to make. A Chinese world champion. You know, sometimes it's not always in your country you're going to find what you need to bring your game to the level that you want.、Mm. I left England at a very young age. Everybody's like, "Wow, England's got the best boxing."、Not、for me, it wasn't the place that I was meant to actually learn my craft. But nonetheless, I went full circle and I managed to be able to become a world champion. Sometimes you need to look afield to、mm. be able to follow your dream. Being in China. It really has made me look that anything is really possible. Anything is possible here. China from all angles is brought to you by East West Bank, the premier financial bridge between the U.S. and China. East West Bank offers unparalleled services for individuals and companies who build connections between the two countries. East West Bank, bridging cultures, bridging opportunities, bridging dreams. For more info, visit eastwestbank.com. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. Today's guest is both a former kickboxing and boxing world champion, with an undefeated boxing record of 21 wins, 12 by knockout, with zero losses. She retired with the WIBF super bantamweight title belt around her waist. Today's guest is Michelle Aboro. Do people still call you champ? They do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> It's been a long time since I was a champion,、uh, but yeah, some people still have that idea of you. Well, you're a champ until you lose, right? That's how the fight game works, right? That's very true. So you have never lost your belt. No. <laughs> no, that is very true. Yeah, so that's why I figured people would still, to this day, you know, will call you champ. Yeah, probably in their minds too. For me, you know. When I stopped boxing and kind of shifted into a normal life, then that whole champion kind of persona kind of went to the to the、mm. to the back. Okay, I wanted to start from as early as I could.、Hmm. I understand that you were born in London in an area called Peckham. Correct. What type of place? Is Peckham? How would you describe it?、Um, multiracial,、uh, open, hard, council estates, skipping school. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you ever watch Only Fools and Horses, which is an old, old-fashioned、uh, television program, it's done in Peckham. It's wheelers and dealers, people, you know,、um, coming from that.、Uh, How can I say it? Middle class, lower class, kind of background.、Um, it was a very encompassing environment, to tell the truth. I also understand that you were one of seven children, and are of Irish, Scottish, and African. More specifically, is it Nigerian descent? That's correct. Yeah. Okay, that's a very big household. It is a big household, and. Not only do you need to file outside, but you come back home and you need to file inside for everything.、Uh, and my mum being bringing us up by herself, it was kind of、uh, my eldest sister was like the mum, and my mum was the dad that went out and worked. So my sister had to deal with the six of us.、Uh, she done a great job, though, I must say. So you were second oldest. I'm middle. Middle, right yeah, in the middle. Right in the middle. So、yeah. they say middle child. I mean, that's usually you think of that when people say middle child. You're only thinking of three, but when you're thinking of seven, there's a lot of middle <laughs> child in that group there. Yeah, it's very tiered.、Um, yeah, so there was quite a few of us that felt like the middle child, but 
I, I must say, you know, growing up in 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 that environment with my brothers and sisters, it, it, yeah, we we like any other family. You fought, you made up, you stuck up for each other, you made sure we were all okay. And when we went to school, there was a gang of us, you know. So mm-hmm. we were mixed race. We were the only mixed race children in our primary school. So it was good to have a clan coming with you into school instead of you being the only one sticking out. So uh, it was a good thing coming from that big family. But you say Peckham was actually pretty diverse. It was, but when you look back to the early 70s, um, it was just coming around then. You know, uh, my eldest sister was born in the 50s, and so she was one of the first from that whole mixed-race generation, which was taboo, coming through I was born in the uh, late uh, 60s so I was still encompassing the 70s and it was still uh, there was mixed race children around but it was still a taboo in the family you know Mm. of my mum my mum's family disowned her because of the fact that she had mixed race children um, because it was frowned upon still at that time Something else that was pretty significant of Peckham that I do believe is that there were a lot of boxing gyms there. Oh, yes. So I know boxing is actually it's a big part of the culture in the UK. Mm-hmm. And there are certain areas where it's it's very strong in the culture. It's, so Peckham is one of those places. Yeah, boxing gyms kind of sprung up in areas where there was young youth problems. So the mind eye of the local community and the police and people like this would be to put boxing gyms, boxing gyms, karate gyms, judo, this kind of thing. So it was a way for the young kids to actually get rid of that excess energy. Um, and we had free boxing gyms in the vicinity like of my mum's house. So boxing has a long history in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the heavyweight champion of the world right now, Tyson Fury, is also from... It's British. Yes. <laughs> and... You know, I've I've heard some stuff about him, which makes me think even more about like this boxing culture in the UK. That you know, he's he's a pikey, he's a gypsy. Yeah, and there's bare knuckle boxing matches. Have you ever witnessed this type of stuff? Or no, no. no. Uh, you know, where I grew up, there was a big. Um park across the road from my mom's house so the pikes were the gypsies would always camp out there there was always a lot of travelers uh, around england and so this was the kind of background that tyson fury comes from mm. he comes from the travelers pikes gypsies background and so these guys would be traveling through different parts of london they would hitch up pull out their they weren't tents they were uh, camper vans mm-hmm. and stay there for a month or two and then move on so there was always gypsies around and we would hang out with them and stuff like this but I never actually witnessed the the gypsy fights that you heard about it though of course (laughs) (laughs) of course you know when you look at it you know um, was it fight club and all of this Uh you know that's where this comes from this whole idea of you know the underground fighting that goes on so what are your thoughts on Tyson Fury I have the utmost respect for this uh, young man. I, uh, you know, when I first saw him years and years ago, I looked and I was like, this guy can move. Look how big he is. And he's so slick. You know, uh, for such a huge beast, he can move so well. Right. So, you know, he's fast on his feet. He has angles. He has foresight. He sees what's happening. He has a fast mind. He's intelligent. So for me, this is what boxing is about. And it's it's beautiful to see, you know. It's a pity for Anthony Joshua because we had two mm. world champions, but he lost his title to Uzik, the right. Ukrainian guy, and which is a pity. But I believe Tyson Fury will be the reigning world champion. Yeah, people say that he could be looked back and ranked among the greats of all time. Yeah, I believe that too. I really do. Okay, so back to your childhood in Peckham. Mm. The story goes that you went to a boxing gym at nine years old Mm. and you were turned down because you were a girl. Um, And that that was the first time that you realized that boys and girls are treated differently. Who brought you to the boxing gym and how did they react when you you guys got turned down? I brought myself there. Oh, you just went, okay. <laughs> I went there. You know, as I said before, I grew up in a place which was, you know, at nine years old, 
10 years old, I was already down the adventure playground, which was at the bottom of the street by myself, uh, climbing, jumping, running through the church, which was very close to, there was an old kind of derelict church that we liked to hang out as when we were kids. And the gym, um, the Lim Boxing Club, uh, was right next to this old derelict uh, church. So one day, of course, I heard it, you know, the pop, 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 mm-hmm. you know, through the windows and stuff, but... I never really thought about going in there, and one day I did, and then I was like, wow, I want to do this. So you just walked right on in and say, hey. I would like to do this. And got turned down. Yeah, but he only turned me, because, you know, when I was young, I had short hair too, so I, and I always wore jeans, and, you know, I was, I was very boyish as a child, and so first of all, he thought I was a, a, a boy. So he was like, yeah, cool, you know, first of all. Um, and then when he asked me my name and I said, ah, oh, Michelle, um, he realized that I was a girl, and he was like, no, 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 no. I also looked into a little bit about the rules and the laws and the regulations, which is probably part of the reason why you got turned down at the time. And as a casual boxing fan, I didn't know a lot about the history. Um, But at that time, it was illegal for trainers to train girls. Correct. So he was more worried about... Losing his license. As a a boxing trainer. And he he told you that. Yeah, he did. He did. You know, um, he he did say, no, no, I can't. I can't do this. You know, he was from Peckham. Everybody kind of does know each other and he was like you know I can't do this if you're a boy it's different but you're a girl so it wasn't so much of a personal decision of his it was merely because of the laws at the time exactly so you decide to start kickboxing because kickboxing was actually legal yeah crazy laws are really strange old boys school boxing is old in England and it has a very 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 long history of the people that be will keep it the way they want it to be until people are strong enough to change the big people you know the boxers at the top need to say no this is not right and we want to change things and that's how so because kickboxing didn't have a tradition in the UK yeah it wasn't held to the old regulations exactly it comes from a different uh, place. It's as martial arts, you know. It's um, it's not about gender, you know. What is it? Wing Chun is by female, who was the one that invented this. Um, so martial arts doesn't have that perception on gender as it is. You know, it's far more flexible and easy. And so, knowing this, I I actually yeah was able. One of my buddies later on dragged me along to a kickboxing gym. So that's when I started to think, oh, this is fun. You end up going to Holland to pursue kickboxing and eventually get a contract to box in Germany. Yeah. Where it was legal. Yeah. So do different countries in Europe have different attitudes towards women in combat sports or... Cause I would have thought that it would be pretty much a same value system, mm-hmm. you know, all around that area. But apparently no, what's no. illegal in the UK was legal in Germany. Exactly. If you look, um, the EU didn't come into place until, what was it, 2003. Before then, it was all three states, all three countries, and none of them had the same laws, all of them had their borders, and uh, what went on in England didn't go on in Germany, didn't go on in Holland, didn't go on in Italy, didn't go on in all these different countries, so it was only later on we had United Europe, like right. the United States, um, right. and England the last couple of years ago pulled out of that right. too. So um, you can just imagine, you know, England is an island. It's a big island, but it's an island nonetheless. And they do have their old world kind of worldly kind of points and views on how things should be. And Germany, I think because of the whole thing that you had East Germany and West Germany and around about that time, borders were going down, like the Berlin Wall was going down. And I think with this influx of, say, Eastern Bloc way of looking at sports... They don't have this idea of male mm. and female. They just have an athlete. Right. And they want that athlete, no matter who they are, to win, no matter what way. And so 
me going into Germany at that time, I think I was just in the right time because female boxing then was getting a bit of a limelight um, in Germany. How would you say boxing is received here in China as far as uh, for women's boxing? Boxing in China is still very young. Um, you know, if you look at the governing bodies, all of them, WBA, WBC, WBA, WBO, IBF, all of them came surging into China, say, 15 years ago, and all of them with the idea that the world is going to be run by Chinese champions because there's so many people, just in sheer numbers, it has to be. And the way that um, a lot of sports are dominated by Chinese um, athletes, but that wasn't the case. And it hasn't been the case, and it is not the case. And I don't know what the reason is. I really tried to get my head around it. <laughs> um, but there's it, it, a different... Um, it's like football in China and football in the rest of the world. You know, there is... Now, there are serious problems in football in China. Yes, you know, everybody's very in serious debt. problems. <laughs> right, you know, right. the money that they pumped into it. And what did they get? Nothing out of it. And right. the same thing kind of with boxing. Where I grew up, you know, just in, say, a mile distance, you've got there at least, coming out of there, at least five British contenders. You know, could be a couple of European contenders. And mm -hmm. that's just in a small area. Right. In the whole of China... Right, And so I don't know if it's a mindset. I don't know it's, if it's cultural. I don't know what it is. In the 10 years I've been here, I've worked with different athletes. I had one girl that got to an international level, but then she stopped and went back to her old sifu. And so I, I, I really, I try to get my head around the concept of it, but it's been very difficult. Yeah, it is strange how China dominates in certain sports. Yes. And in other sports... They just cannot compete at all. No, they can't even make the make it into the tournament. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, it is it is quite strange, and it's also sometimes strange. For example, you you bring up football. The women's team is competitive. The men's team has never been competitive. Yeah, um, and there are actually more examples of that in China. No. Actually, you have more female world champion boxers than you do male in China. China, you had one. He went to England and lost it. Zhao Shiming. Uh, Zhao Shiming, he was Olympic champion. He won WBO championship. I think he defended it two or three times, then lost it. Um, so there has been periodically over, I think, the last 20 years, maybe five male world, ch world champions. I think China has had females, maybe 10. Mm. So when I started looking into how uh, it was illegal for trainers to train female boxers in the UK. I started digging into this history of women's boxing a little mm -hmm. bit, and it's really quite surprising, to yeah, be honest. It's deep. Yes, it's very deep. <laughs> it's very deep. So even though the UK probably has a very long history of boxing, mm -hmm. and women's boxing actually goes back as far as the 18th century. Exactly. There was a women's boxing club in London formed in the 1920s. Yeah. It was controversial, of course, mm -hmm. and basically got disbanded and nothing ever came of it. And women's boxing actually appeared in the Olympic Games in a demonstration bout in 1904. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't know that one. I mean, it was only a demonstration, right? But then I keep reading and I see that it wasn't until 2012. Yeah, London Olympics 2012. Where three additional women's weight classes were, were added. Three. And that's less than 10 years ago, yeah. which kind of blows my mind. And then if you read a little bit even more about the 2012 Olympic Games and these women's uh, weight classes that were added in, they originally wanted them to wear skirts. Yep. They actually was trying to force them to wear skirts. And this was from the IOC? This yep. is So this is an international committee yep. that is trying to put these... Women into being women. Rather than just, this is about sports. Yeah. But it was basically, it didn't, it didn't happen because uh, 
a former amateur boxer, Elizabeth Plank, mm-hmm. she held a petition and got this rule overturned. Yep. Uh, thank goodness for her. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> they need to have people that are in there, up there, saying, you know, this is crazy. Come on, guys. Seriously. And <laughs> the fact that it was 10 years ago is the most mind-blowing fact for me. We think that, you know, we've come so far. Yeah. But... Welcome just, to the world. Exactly. Just 10 years ago, the entire world in in the biggest stage, the Olympics, is still trying to put these things into place is, is yeah. really... It's really strange, to be honest. When was the first time women could run a marathon? You need to look at these things. It was the, what was it, the 70s, 60s, 70s? The thing is, is we've come a long way in certain things, and we're still behind in a lot of things when it comes to equality on many different levels. What's also strange about this history is, because I'm from the U.S., Mm. right? The U.S. was very accepting of women's boxing as early as the 70s, mm-hmm. had a huge boom in the 90s. Yep. I remember my first time seeing women's boxing and being like, wow, was Christy Martin, Martin because on she, the undercard at Tyson. Exactly, because yeah. I was watching the Tyson fight and then it was the undercard and then it was an amazing fight as yep. well. And, and I remember I was young. You know, I was middle school, high school, for for my age. That was the 90s. Right, right. So it's strange that in the U.S. it was accepted, Mm -hmm. not just accepted, it was televised, but still on a global scale, even on Olympics, it didn't really get in until Mm. 10 years ago. No. I I think, you know, the thing what happened with female boxing is that some people looked at it as a little bit of a sideshow. Um... And they didn't give it the credit that it deserved, the credit that the females deserved for time, effort and energy that they pull into it. And they generally are athletes, you know, they're boxers. They're not, uh, you know, like sideshow. Let's warm up the audience, let's bring in a little bit of titillation and then we'll get the men on. Mm. So, you know, I, I think that was the problem, the earlier on problem. There's still problems today, but some of the major uh, promoters are picking certain women and pulling them on the cards. Mm. I, I remember real clearly how big it kind of became in the U.S. in the 90s. Yeah. With Christy Martin, also Leila Ali. Yeah. And she was clearly a very skilled boxer. Yeah. And Christy Martin was not a force to be reckoned with either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, she she's tough. She's not the most beautiful boxer, skilled boxer but she's tough you know she's hard as nails and I think this is what people saw you know that women can you know be as durable if not more durable than than some malfilers out there and so this shifted people's idea of female fighters when doing this dig and then I came across Christy Martin and it kind of like brought back memories of her I actually saw a link to a story about her and wow does she have a crazy <laughs> story crazy life somebody needs to turn that into a movie yeah I think they, they will I think they definitely will um, Christy Martin is a, is a survivor yes she really is a survivor and hell off to her you know she's one of the, the females that did open up doors for other females in the boxing world you know um if it wasn't for people like christy marlin you know uh, the platform that all the young boxers are on today female boxers would not be there you know it really did change the idea you know don king grabbed her put her on mm-hmm. the cards of these guys it's amazing yeah speaking of movie the u.s was so accepted of female boxing that they made a movie about it mm. Million Dollar Baby, yeah, which was in two thousand four, exactly. Yet the Olympics was yeah. still not accepting. And it's it. it's quite funny if you remember the female in the blue bear, uh, who kind of paralyzed Hillary Swank in the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, she was actually meant to fight Christy Martin for the million dollars. Ah. There was this big fight, but then it's a good friend of mine, Lucy Riker. She brought me over to Holland. Um, she got a, a Achilles heel rip, and the fight got postponed. So. She's an actress. She was doing a lot of acting in Hollywood. And so she played the part in this movie, Million Dollar Babe. So when you watch this movie, what were the emotions or the thoughts that were going through your mind at the time? You know, for, for me, it was, it was beautiful that Hollywood, and well, Clint Eastwood directed it, as brought a movie to the big screen that 
showed the, the, the fight that was happening mm-hmm. and what you put in as an athlete because they don't see it. They just see you jump in the ring, do your thing, jump out, but they don't see, you know, the early mornings you wake up, you go running, you actually go to your job, you do your full day's job, you go back to the gym, you start training in the gym again, you know. A lot of the times you're working on the door of nightclubs as well because this is a way to make extra money. After you finish, you go running, you go home, you sleep, you go back to the gym, you go to work again and that's your life for until maybe you're lucky enough to find a sponsor. So it was actually telling your story, in a way. It was telling most female boxers' stories. Yeah, most definitely, because that is the life, unless you get a sponsorship deal or you have a promoter that's promoting you. I was lucky enough, when I went to Germany, I hit the jackpot, because after 15 years of being not sponsored and competing, I finally had sponsorship a promoter, and I could fight for the next 10 years without having to do another job. Is that still the case today? Yes. Yes, it is. For even professional female boxing athletes? It's the case for male boxing athletes as well. If they're not good enough, if they're not up there in that top 10, if they're not good enough to be able to... to, to Sell the tickets. And get them big sponsors looking at them so that Mm -hmm. they can stick on their shorts, the names of them, then you're not going to be sponsored, you're not going to be promoted. If you look at, in the world, how many major promoting bodies are there and how many filers are signed to that promoter, the ones that are coming in to fight that filer, they're the meal ticket. You know, they're coming in for a meal ticket. The guys that are filing on that, they're the ones that have won the lottery ticket and able to sustain their life from that. So So this is not just a gender issue. It's sort of... yeah. The industry of boxing. It's, it's the industry. You know, what does a promoter call a group of boxers? They call it a stable, like they have horses. You know, it's, this is the perception mm-hmm. that dates way back when and is still somewhat... You know, Eddie Hearns is doing a great job. He, he does promote, he does push, and he does... But if you look at what he's doing, and Universum, who I signed to, too, in Germany, they have a group of maybe 20 to 25 filers, and with that group of 20 to 25 filers, they pull on promote, promotions. They're self-sufficient and self-managed. Every time there's filers, there's 20 filers, 25 filers, they pull on eight on that show, brrr, three more months, pull on eight on that show, bomb, 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 paste them out, so they don't have to worry about looking for talent. They bought the talent already. All they need to do is look for the bodies to feed to that talent. Mm -hmm. So there are some people making money from the sport and there are other people that are just, you know, um, journeymen. Trying to get to that level. Yeah. And that is the thing, that is the pursuit. Like in anything, I think it's, you know, it's in anything in life. You know, you start off and you hope that the time, energy and effort that you pull into whatever career you decide to take, that it will pay off and that you're able to make enough money to sustain your lifestyle. And boxing, it's not just about how talented you are for the females. The males may be so. If somebody finds you that you are sellable, talented, you can do this, then they will sign you because this way they can get the tickets on seats, uh, bums on seats to sell the tickets and television and so on and so forth. This actually brings me to a question that is a more recent thing that we're seeing with the sport of boxing nowadays, and that is these celebrity matches. And I have to get your opinion on these matches or on this phenomenon that's happening recently, that some of these celebrity matches are selling more tickets and making more money than the actual professionals. Bizarre, isn't it? For me, the thing is it's a bit sad because there's young athletes that are coming up that are there that have dedicated their life to it and are being overshone because there's a YouTuber that wants to fight all of these over the hill or shot, I mean shot, mentally shot, fighters. Good on them if they're making some more money from this, but it breaks my heart when I see like an Evander Holyfield get into the ring and what happened to him happens to him. Right. You know, because this is one of my idols, you know, and this shouldn't be the case. Um, but it is the case. Why does he go into the ring? Money. It's not because he wants to have a second career. Right. You know, and, and that's the sad thing about it is that these... Athletes are being drawn into the ring by the so-called promoters because they need money. 
There are people within the sport that say it's good for the sport, though. <sighs> Maybe get more people to watch it or to train to want to be a boxer for young people, yeah. perhaps. What to see a podcaster beat the crap out of a former quite well was he five times UFC fighter? You know, it's heartbreaking to see that. What does that kid want to do? I don't want to be a UFC fighter. I win five championships. I get beaten up by a YouTuber. I I agree one hundred percent. You know, it's not good for him. You know, it's definitely not good for him. Yeah. So so for me, I I don't I don't know. For me, the thing is is that maybe I'm just a truist、mm-hmm. in the sense of the word that that you know I I I look at these. And I come from an era where it's not all about YouTube and Instagram and you know Snapchat and all of these things. It's about you know dedication, time, effort,、um, belief, hope, dreams. It's these other things that you can't pull on this in,、uh, social media, you know.、Um, so maybe I get lost in this and cannot see the worth.、Mm. Because for me, all of that stuff that I said first of all is in these people that are being, you know, I don't know, ridiculed or put down. This for me, that's how it feels, or you know, shamed, embarrassed in front of the world, just so that this person can get maybe a million more likes. So yeah, for me. Hopefully, it will get more people who maybe don't follow boxing to follow boxing and realize that. Some of the opponents of these YouTubers, let's just say their names, the Paul brothers.、Uh, <laughs> some of the opponents that they're choosing are actually not,、um, you know, they can be choosing more competitive opponents, which they're not doing. Exactly. So you know, I think eventually it will get to that point. I, I think so too. It's just, it's just like looking at the whole.、Um The field. When when I look down and I look at it and I think to myself, okay, you know, I look at the young、uh, athletes that are coming through, the young boxers that are coming through, and I look at the the time, space, energy that is being taken up by these people. When it could be, you know,、mm. the the site could be put on these people. Right. And so sometimes I think it loses perspective on the re- reality of the situation when it's shone on on this. And sometimes, you know, the people that actually sit down and watch these guys, the guys. With a big beer,、uh, Kentucky Fried—sorry, I shouldn't say Kentucky—you <laughs> know, they've got this 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 junk food in their hand. They're drinking beers. They're watching this, and they're like, "Whoa, yeah!" It's just pure entertainment. For it's、them. entertainment,、right. you know. Boxing is entertainment too, but it's 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 different. It's it's, it's got you know. When you when you look at somebody like Tyson Fury and you look at him and you look at his depression and what he goes through and how boxing this is a story you want to hear,、mm. you know how boxing actually pulled him out of that, levitated him, put him on a level where he could see perspective and he could see hope and he could see a a a, a, a goal in which it could stop that. The deep dark spirit that he has inside of him from taking over, and this is boxing. You know, when I look at a lot of the young kids who I grew up with who went into boxing, and the avenues they could have taken, and boxing kind of dragged them back and saved them. You know, these are the stories that should be spoken about. You know,、uh, how how these guys have made it. Maybe they're not multi-millionaires and have millions of likes, but these kids, you know, they. Are not out there on the street doing bad things. They're there in the gym. Some of them are turned into coaches, coaching the younger generation. And these are beautiful stories for me. So when you retired from boxing, you didn't want to have anything to do with boxing anymore at that time.、Mm-hmm. You didn't think about becoming a coach. I understand you pursued sound engineering and music. You played bass guitar. This was because you've you were. Training for so long that this is something that you just needed a break from, or was there another reason why you just sort of wanted to get away from the sport?、Mm. Well,、um, when it came to the end of my career, it was actually a court case with my promoter manager, and so、um, I was still on a contract with them, and I was meant to fight. The next couple of months, and then、um, I was told、uh, that the contract had been ended. So I said, "That's not possible because it's it's a contract. It's a legally binding contract. If it's going to be ended, no problem. But you need to p- pay 
buy me out of the contract right. which is normal so they said no um, ZDF which was the German uh, television channel that used to televise my fights didn't find me promotable so I said but I don't have a contract with them I have it with you so you need to buy me out so they were we got into this court case which, which actually lasted seven years so it was down to the fact of because I was openly gay and I didn't look like what they wanted me to look then they found me non-desirable as a boxer so they ended my career um, with them did you try to sign with other promoters at the time I actually went out back to England um, and I nearly signed with, I don't know if you know, a boxer called Prince Nazim Ahmed. Um, he was a big boxer in the 90s, early 2000s. He was, uh, um, so I nearly signed a contract up in Sheffield with his brother's um, boxing promotion team. And then I thought to myself, I had been in competition then for nearly 27 years and it would be the same. I was 34 then, and I thought to myself, it's going to be the same. It's going to be that the managers, the promoters are going to say, look like this, be like this, talk like this, be, you know, don't say that, say this. And I didn't want to do this anymore, actually. And so I decided to go back to school. And I always enjoyed being around music, hanging around music, uh, clubs, DJs, this kind of thing. And so I decided to do a sound engineering course and went back to school. So at the time, you wanted to use your platform to not just be a champion at your sport, but also deliver a message. Yes. And they weren't allowing it? No. So... What's the point? You were already the champion. You wanted to do more with the belt than just defend it. Yeah, it, 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 after you defend this belt so many times and you've won many belts, you, the belt is not the prize anymore. It's about what can I do? And everywhere there were these blockages like, no, you need to be like this, you need to look like this. Why don't you think about this? Why don't you look like this, dress like this? And so I was like, why? Why should I? Then I just thought to myself, what can I, what, where can I go where you're accepted? Mm, That's mm, music. Mm. You know, music arts. I thought sports was, but, you know, it's music and, you know, music arts. Sports, yes, too, to a degree, but these other um, mediums are open. People are much more open and diverse there. Uh, when we think of boxing and we think of an athlete standing up for uh, what he believes in and giving up part of his athletic career to spread the message in his of his beliefs. We think of Muhammad Ali. He's probably the number one example of that. Mm. So, you know, you wanting to do that is very admirable. So you pick up music, sound engineering, and you work with acts like the White Stripes and Amy Winehouse. Yeah, I've done sound for them in uh, Holland in uh, a club called Amsterdam, uh, uh, Paradiso in Amsterdam. But you end up touring with a band called Joan as Policewoman. Yeah. Was it when you were touring with this band that you first came to China? Uh, no, I never came to China with them. I actually came to China because um, my now wife was over here and I came to visit her. Okay. Mm. So she also is from Holland. Yes. Um, she was here... That was 2009. 2009. Yeah. And you came to just purely just, just to visit. visit. Yeah. What was your first impression when you came? Wow. <laughs> Where was it? In was it Shanghai? Shanghai. Yeah, I was blown because I expected. You know, you see kung fu. You know the the television series, right, right, you right. With David Carradine. Yeah, yes. exactly. And then I've come to Shanghai, and it's just like it's crazy. You know, it makes the rest. It makes Europe look like backwater. Mm. You know, like we we are so far behind. And I was like, this is amazing, but nobody actually trains here. Mm -hmm. You know, boxing is non-existent here. Right. What do they do? This is the place of Kung Fu, of martial arts. And so coming here, I was looking for somewhere to train while I was here. And that was the thing. I just really realized that there's no real place to train. Did you expect to stay here longer than you did when you first came? Or was it coming to check it out and see if it could be a place where you could stay? I surely just came over to visit Muska. Um, and went back after a month. 
I actually was only meant to come for two weeks, but ended up staying for a month mm -hmm. and went back after a month. And then Muska came back to Holland and we were there for a year. And then all of these ideas started coming up like, we should go back, we should open a gym there, we should do something there. This was both of you guys together having the idea to... It was me pushing her. She was like, my mom and dad left China for a reason. <laughs> it was you pushing her. It was yeah. your idea to yeah. come to China. Yeah, to come back. To come back to, to, to China. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what was the big draw for you? I mean, was it the fact that you saw a need for more boxing gyms, um, how this was a growing sport here, or was it something in that one month about the life here that yeah. you felt like? Yeah, I felt really, the one month I was here, it, it, it gave me this great feeling about being part of something bigger, you know, because the, the, the sheer massive of people that are here. And I really wanted to open up a gym, but in the same breath, I really wanted to make a Chinese world champion mm. in the back of my head. I actually wrote letters to the government asking them to let me go and train at their um, national um, facility for boxing but they didn't answer me back mm. not till today even but I, I really had this idea in my head that I, I wanted to come here and I really would love to train a world champion here So you guys do come back mm. um, you start Oboro Foundation Oboro Academy are you actively looking for this future champion? I'm not actively looking, I was before I was really, when we first opened, I was really actively looking for somebody. As I said before, I had um, a coach from the Ningbo national team. Mm -hmm. He would bring up girls to our gym and I would train up quite a few of them. One of them, a young girl called Shichuan Yen, and she got to international level. I had a couple of guys to um, foreign and local that would train and they would fight on the professional uh, circuit. But as I told you before, I don't know what it is, but there's something, some kind of block there that makes it very, very, very difficult to get that. Yeah, not just boxing. All sports in China, when it gets to the international yeah. level, it's a very closed circuit yeah. type of thing. It's well known among people in China as well mm -hmm. that it's like a it's a very strict system as far as who gets in yeah. as an athlete, as a student, and also as a trainer. Yeah, which is could you know, be the reason going back to what we were talking about yeah. <laughs> before, <laughs> why there's certain things that haven't, you know, evolved, progressed. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you come to Shanghai in 2009. Visiting. Oh, that's when you were visiting? Yeah. I, I, we moved to Shanghai at the end of 2010, actually Christmas 2010. You start by running a Golden Gloves gym? That's correct, yeah. I partnered with two other people, so um, that was the first gym I opened, actually, and, yeah, realized that that was not what I wanted to do, yeah. So you end up leaving the Golden Gloves gym, starting a borough academy. Yeah. The reason why I left there, to tell the truth, is because I got cancer in 2012, and I was looking at this gym, and I was like... If I die tomorrow, would I be happy with this? Mm. Hell no. You know, this is not what I'm about. This is not what I come from. This is not, you know, all this white-collar boxing and this mm. very, very narrow-minded foreign way of looking at stuff. So I said, you know, uh, me and Muska turned around and said, okay, we're going to stop there. We're just going to look for the next year and we'll find somewhere and we'll open up our own gym. So this is after you've been diagnosed? Yeah. With stage three cancer? Yeah. What are the doctors telling you at that time how you should be, that you know, living your life? Relaxing, being at home. But this is what makes you want to live things like mm. this, that you go, you're hunting, you're looking for a space, the space that you're like, wow, this is, you know, this is what... Um, for me personally, this is what keeps me um, engaged in the whole game of life. Otherwise, you just sit there and you just do the day-to-day -day mundane things and it becomes a chore. And this was something like, wow, we're going to like go, we're going to 
you know, sitting down with the designers, looking at the space, coloring the space up. How is it going to look? What colors we're going to use? What is it going to? Where's the bags going to go? How is it going to be? Yeah. Would you say that you wouldn't have pursued this if you weren't diagnosed? I don't think so. Wow. Yeah. I think, thank God for cancer. <laughs> I mean, nobody <laughs> says that. No, really. Because otherwise, I, I wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't be in China. If I would have actually carried on at that place, I would have become, I would have left China. I would have. Because mm. I wouldn't have been happy. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have actually done something that I can be proud of. I, I'm not sure if I got the times right here because... I read that your partner, Moscow, was stuck in Hong Kong because of COVID. Yeah. While you were setting up the gym and also dealing with treatment? That was the second time I got cancer. Okay. Yeah, so the first time I got cancer, we were together uh, here at stage, and this was when uh, um, I had Golden Gloves Gym. And going through that, that, that light bulb moment came on and like, hell, let me get out of this place, let me open up my own gym. And then um, Muska went back to because her uh, family's h- hometown is close to Zhenzhen. Uh-huh. And uh, she went there and I said, I'm going to stay in Shanghai, keep things running. And the COVID, and so she got stuck in Hong Kong. And just through some fluke, I decided actually to change my doctor, go to another one because I just just felt not great. And so I went to this other and luckily I went then because it was only stage um, one. So um, I was able to just straight away go get operation, uh, treatment. So you're in China without your partner mm-hmm. on your own, running a gym mm-hmm. and getting treatment at the same time. Yeah. Would you see it as like a really, really rough patch? I, I f- because I'm looking at your reaction and it's like, it was like another day almost. <laughs> no, but the thing is, is that, yeah, I could be like, oh my God, what am I doing? This is terrible. Yeah, and I run out of China. I lose everything, everything I've worked for, for mm. basically my life. Mm-hmm. And what do I get for it? Nothing. Or I could be here and I could be like, okay, what is the most important things now to do to keep the business together, to keep it running, to keep our members who have believed and trusted in us for the past seven years engaged. So we're going to do online training. So it wasn't just going through treatment. I was jumping up and down in my front room in front of a camera because we were sending out videos to them. So about boxing, our fitness coaches, about fitness, talking to them, engaging them, keeping our business alive. Um, like any other um, business owner would. So uh, for me, the thing is, um, disease is something that it, it will happen, it will happen to all of us. But if you let it control what is important and what needs to be done, then you're, for me, in my head, I'm giving into it. Mm. And I didn't have the time or the I didn't have the time to give into it to answer to this cancer. I went, I had chemo, I came out from chemo, I was home for two days and then I carried on. Would you credit your recovery to your mindset Would it, or continuing to exercise or just being positive about the situation? 100%, 100%. Uh, um, I think he, I really, you know, Boxing has been a huge part of my life and, and, and it's not just, the, you know, people, when they think of boxing, they only think of the ring. It's, it's all of them other hurdles and, and, and triumphs that happen outside of the ring, you know, that really give you this mindset um, of if you keep on looking for that silver lining, it's going to come. It will come. If you have that belief and you have that belief system built up in yourself, good things will come. They will happen, you know, maybe not all at once. But if you keep on pulling in that time, effort and energy at the end of it, you will receive something back, maybe not for yourself, but for the people around you, too. And and I think boxing gave me that because it's not, you know, people always think of boxing as this solitary thing. You're alone by yourself, you know, running through the streets all by yourself. No, it's a team sport. I have my trainers, I have, I have my friends, I have my family, I have all these people around me supporting me, my sparring partners, all of these people in the gym that are there saying, you know, go Misha, that round was great, or, you know, tomorrow I'll 
call you up so that don't forget your run, do this, do that. Oh, I've got some extra vitamins here, do you want them? You know, all of these little things actually contribute to you to that end success if you want to call winning a world title the success at the end of it. But all of this. Right. I mean, the thought that was just going through my mind right now is that you're a fighter, but it's not just in the ring. You're also fighting disease. You're also fighting, you know, stigma on gender and sexuality. You're fighting all of these things. So the, the term fighter, maybe people only think about what's happening in the ring, mm-hmm. but it's also all these things that are happening outside the ring. And it's actually, like you said, your team, your family, your friends that are also part of the success of all those fights, yep. not just the fight that's happening in the ring. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so the Alboro Foundation. Yeah. It is originally established to help children and young people, but now it's grown into something larger than that? Or? Yeah. So, so what, what we try to do is in the beginning, because you know how difficult it is to have an NGO in China. Mm-hmm. It's like we are near enough one of the first foreign companies that will have one in China. We started the foundation before we had a gym. So what I would do is just give free classes to people in the beginning, like where I grew up. You know, mm-hmm. in the neighborhood gyms, coaches would be there and kids would come in and they get free classes. So I done that back in 2011. Um, and then when we got the gym, Borough Academy, we started giving, um, we called it foundation classes where young kids aged between five and seven could come in and get these classes for free. Um, now what we do is we give certain kids scholarships, but we raise money and then we give this money back to all of these different um, foundations that we work with, Stepping Stones, Heart to Heart, um, Shanghai Young Bakers, um, Rosebud Foundation. Uh, we have, 1st of February coming up, we have a big packing day. We've done this for the past seven years. It's uh, the Children's Count Cancer Center that um, we get everybody to raise as much money as possible. Then we buy gifts for the parents and for the kids because it's a lot of migrant kids coming into Shanghai because mm-hmm. this is one of the best cancer centers for kids in China. And on Chinese New Year, they don't have really nobody. They're stuck. Right. So we bring, we go up there. Well, now we can't because of COVID, but we, we deliver packages for the parents and for the kids so that they have something that they can be happy about being stuck um, here down here with a kid that's very sick. Was starting the foundation, the motivation for it also having to do with your experience with sickness or... Um, was this always something that you felt that you can do that transcends just the sport itself? Mm. I, f- I think where I grew up, you had a gym, you had a foundation, you had a community outreach program. It wasn't called foundation or community outreach. It's just the coach gave back, mm. you know, and it wasn't a big thing for the coach or for the community center or for the people in that area. It was just a thing of that this is normal. Um, if our young kids don't get this kind of free help, then we don't know what's going to happen with these kids. If you look at parts of LA, you know, you get these areas down there where if they would have put more effort into these areas of more outreach work to the community, there would be less problems. Mm -hmm. But if the community doesn't do it for themselves, don't wait for the politician to do it because he's not going to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so where I grew up, it was like that. The community said, we're going to do all this stuff and we're going to make sure if a parent can't afford to bring their kids away on a holiday, we'll raise the money and we'll bring that family away in the six-week summer holiday. So this was something that was very normal where I grew up and, and seeing this and this happening. That When I got to an age and I had the resources of people that I could tap on and I could say, hey, you have money, give me your money. Let me do something (laughs) good with it. You know, that's when I started to do stuff like this. Mm. Um, Instead of thinking a lot of people do, you have money, give me your money. You know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, it's a better form to be able to pass it along and pass it to somebody else that actually might need it more than me. So the foundation came before the academy. Yeah. Now the academy, which I had the opportunity to go be a part Very of cool. that day. Yeah. <laughs> How would you say the academy is different from most other boxing gyms? For me, it's 
everything I ever wanted that I never could find in the world because I've trained in many places in the world. I just kind of pull it in there. All of the things, all of the experiences, the the, the training I had, um, the understanding of the depth of boxing. I ended up making, actually, uh, I have a ranking system. It took me maybe, well, it's taken me my entire life to pull it together. So we have in there where we train people and coaches like in a karate system where mm. they have different levels so that we can teach people in a progressive way so that they can actually learn um, how to box in a way in which layers it layers it instead of where I went to a boxing gym you got in there and they said get in the ring and spar and if you survived you carried on with boxing if you didn't you wouldn't carry on with boxing mm. you know it's a different format so what we try to do is now is that we bring people in that really love boxing, maybe not to compete, but they enjoy the physical training of boxing. And so we give this to them and we are able to layer them and bring them to a level um, with a progressive system. Mm. And this is what I say is, is different from other gyms in China. So other gyms in China are, you would say, quite similar to other gyms in... No. How, different. How, how would they be different? The people... The mindset, the knowledge, the understanding. If you grow up in L.A. or you grow up in Ningbo, you're going to have a different mindset, aren't you? Right, but how about like the training methods or the, the culture within the sport? What training methods in boxing? So, for example... <laughs> it's not... You know, boxing's not like, you know, um, that you have these institutes where they have uh, professional boxing I'm on about, mm -hmm. not, not amateur, where you have these institutes where people go and they align and they all have this curriculum, syllabus, mm -hmm. modules mm -hmm. to go with. Bo boxing isn't like that. Boxing is about... A trainer and a... You. And that trainer, and that trainer pulling out in you um, the potential and possibility for you to go in there. He's going to arm you with certain techniques, but it's about you having that resilience, you having that intelligence, you having that 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 want to go through fire to be able to do it. It's not like other sports. It's a different sport. Boxing is. It's a fight. It's not. We don't play boxing. We right. You know. It's 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 so. I think when it comes to it, you know, uh, when I look at different coaches there are some great coaches here in china different different mindset different understanding different way of boxing if you look at different coaches in cuba or america or england or europe everybody has a different school of boxing mm -hmm. where it comes from how it comes from so the thing is if a coach just stays in one pod they understand that way of boxing mm. but if a person goes to many different places to still knowledge right. or to take knowledge to learn, right. then they have much more of a pool of understanding of different um, tools to give to people. So then the main difference between Oboro Academy and other boxing gyms would be Michel Oboro. As yeah. And, and yeah, but, but you know, the knowledge that I have, I freely, I give it to mm. coaches that come to me that I see that they have a potential to be a good coach. Mm. And it's pointless me keeping knowledge to myself because it's, it's, I think, you know, the wonderful thing that I love about Muska, what she said to me when she first met me years ago is that I was touring with bands then and she said, what the hell are you doing? You have all this knowledge about boxing. It's a sin not to share it, not mm. to show it. Why are you doing this? And which is so true. So I, 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 I think to myself, you know, um, if I get people coming to the gym, I want to share my knowledge with them. I want to show them what I do know. Is this ranking system something that is not been, that you have not seen in any other gym? Mm, yes, in the world. But you feel like it should be something that is incorporated in boxing? Yeah, I, 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 for me, the thing is, is that we all go to gyms and they say we have beginner intro lessons, beginner's lessons, uh, advanced, intermediate lessons. But what is that coach teaching in that class? He's teaching what he knows. 
he's teaching what his uh, experience is. Right. And it may not be all the time with that gym. His terminology is different than mine. Mm-hmm. How he talks about things, the way he looks at So you want a systematic system put in place so that you can simply and quite easily duplicate coaches. You can make as many coaches as you want. It makes it easier for you too to run a business. Mm. So if I'm always having these individuals come in with their own mindset, their own uh, terminology, what they think is right for a beginner's class, what they think is right for an advanced class, and not going by the syllabus that you give them, no, this is what you teach in this class, this is what you teach in that class, and you train them over the years, this is what you need to do. You have a system set up that when people come to train with you, they understand what they're getting. They can go to any coach, they can go to any class, and they're not confused. They know what the coach is saying because each coach is saying, when it comes to the technique, similar things. Your partner, Masca, is also your partner with the gym. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>、um, does she train with you? Uh, sometimes she does train with me, but actually, Muska is,、um, she does meditation at the gym、mm. uh, because we truly believe like the mind, body, and spirit should be connected. If you look at most of the top athletes, professional athletes, they will meditate,、mm-hmm. you know, because they realize that having that overview of、um, what they're doing and how they're doing it, and the different ways in which meditation is able to switch your brain on,、um, really, really heightens your alertness when it comes to actually competition. Was that something you used while you were competing as well? Yeah, I, I practiced Buddhism. I done anything that would make me better than my opponent. Who brought that into your training while you were competing? Uh, Buddhism was brought into my training by my first coach, Lincoln Boney. My third coach actually brought yoga into my training.、Um, these times, like yoga and this kind of stuff, wasn't into, you know, it was only later on nowadays people are like, yoga's great for everything.、Know? Yeah. Yeah. So these coaches back then were like, try this, do this. So、mm. I was really lucky to be around these really. I call them great minds because、mm. these guys really saw the added point to doing these different things when it came to performance sport.、Mm. And so, what we do, we do a lot of Pilates at our gym, we do yoga, we do meditation, we do these things because, you know, we, we're not prom- prom-、uh, preparing pro boxers at our gym. You know, there are some guys that do want to fight on the level, we're preparing people for life. And I think you need all these things in everyday life. Life is a hard enough fight, as you said earlier on, you know. And so, if somebody can get something from these different layers, what they can actually use in their life, it's added. And even if they were preparing to be professionals, those could be helping、really? them as well, right? Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. When it comes to combat sports and China, the most recent, probably most popular female champion. In the recent years that we've had, is not、uh, boxing but MMA with、mm. Zhang Weili. Yeah. This, I felt like, was something that not a lot of people expected or saw coming. Yeah. She's、um. since lost her title,、mm-hmm. but still definitely one of the top contenders in, in MMA in her weight class. Yeah. You also had some experience with MMA as well? Yeah, I did. Um, I fought in Japan in, back in 1995 when it was the first beginnings of MMA.、Mm. Uh, cages were there and stuff like that. It was a tournament,、um, and I fought in this tournament. Yeah, I didn't know nothing about MMA, I kickboxing background.、Um, I'd done some taekwondo,、uh, so, sorry, jujitsu, traditional jujitsu,、uh, for some time. But I didn't have no idea about what it was. A mixed martial arts then. Wasn't weight categorized.、Mm. There was no weight category.、Right. And people came from all of these different sports so judo, wrestling,、uh, yeah, jujitsu.、Uh, so it was really bizarre. It was a bizarre show. And in Japan, they just love to see these crazy fights. I think where UFC comes from, Ultimate Fighting, 
is the same place as where um, the beginnings of where I first fought on MMA um, and it's turned now into this massive um, business. Do you follow both sports? I follow when it comes I kickboxing, boxing, I look at uh, UFC too. Did you watch the last Zhang Weili, Doug Rose fight. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that last fight? I thought it was a phenomenal fight. Um, I thought it was a fair fight that uh, Rose should win. Mm -hmm. um, I think the first fight they had, she was just caught cold. Yeah. And um, hadn't prepared correctly for the fight. I think the second one she prepared, maybe overtrained a little bit because as she kept saying, her, her arms were so tired, she was so tired. Mm. Um, but I think she put on an amazing fight, I do, and I think she changed a lot of her floor work. She, mm. instead of stand up so much, she went down to the floor and really tried to push to the floor, which was um, really nice. It was a great fight. It's a great fight. It was a great fight for women's sport. Really, it was. Right, and it's actually a very interesting case because she became a world champion and MMA is not part of the Chinese athletic system that we were talking about before yeah. yet. So, you know, without the system, a world champion has, has come out of there China. There you go. <laughs> there you go. But, but this is maybe what you should look at um, sometimes. You know, sometimes it's not always in your country you're going to find what you need to bring your game to the level that you want. Mm. I left England at a very young age. Everybody's like, wow, England's got the best boxing. Not for me. It wasn't the place that I was meant to actually learn my craft. But nonetheless, I went full circle and I managed to be able to become a world champion. And I think sometimes you need to look a field to mm. be able to follow your dream. Okay, on that note, um, and these are... A few questions that we ask all of our guests on this podcast mm. to sort of bring things back full circle. How would you say your experience in China has changed your perspective? Being in China, it really has made me look that anything is really possible. Anything is possible here. You know, not about getting something, but just about... Uh, proximity, the amount of people you meet, uh, who they are, what they are, what they do, how they influence you, how they can help you, how they're willing to help you, how it's so much of, um, how can I say it, somebody says, hey, would you do? Would you mind this, I'll, I'll contact you tomorrow, they contact you, they straight away throw something back to you, so it is a really connected community here, and that is something that really, uh, yeah. What would you say is the biggest misconception of China. Maybe the one that I had, that it wasn't as, 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 how can I say it? It wasn't as evolved as I thought it was when I first came here. This place would blow most people out of the water. I really, I talk about it with friends back home that have never been here, and I say, imagine New York being on steroids. This is Shanghai. You know, it's um, a place where, you know, I haven't felt cash money in my hand for I don't know how many years yeah you know I do everything with my telephone right it's it's crazy okay I just want to thank you one more time my pleasure Michelle, for taking your time to be with us today and sharing if there are more people who want to follow you or want to know more about Aboro Academy mm -hmm. where should they go uh, Aboro Academy does have an official WeChat um, so you can just look, type in a borough, it will pop up and uh, or come to a borough academy. All right. We'll be sure to have all those links in the show notes of this episode. And one more time, thank you again. My Michelle. pleasure. Thank you once again to today's guest, Michelle Aboro. If you like this episode of China from All Angles, do us a favor, hit subscribe, leave us a comment, or share with a friend. And of course, if you want more content like this, head over to RadiiChina.com. And we also want to say a special thank you for the support from East West Bank, the premier financial bridge between the U.S. and China. East West Bank offers unparalleled services for individuals and companies who build connections between the two countries. East West Bank, bridging cultures, bridging opportunities, bridging dreams. For more info, visit eastwestbank.com. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Radio.